So, right now as we gather, there are Christians and there are pastors who are, their lives are in danger. I I was reading an article uh, a couple of days after Afghanistan um, was taken over. And it was an article written by a pastor in the Middle East who personally knew pastors in Afghanistan. And the article was was just a a really helpful guide to know how to specifically be praying for those Christians and those pastors in Afghanistan. And the prayer requests were specifically from those pastors. And and there were three main prayer requests. The, The first prayer request was for physical safety. Of course, as their lives and their families' lives are threatened. The second prayer was for spiritual safety and protection, that God would give them the strength to endure whatever would come. And the third request was that God would work so the gospel would be advanced whether they die or not. And I was reading that and I was just struck. How is it possible to have that kind of trust? But I I also can't imagine waiting the way they're waiting. Right now, they're praying, God, strengthen me to not abandon you when they come. I can't imagine praying, waiting, and hoping not that I would specifically survive, but so that the gospel would advance whether I die or not. And right now, those Christians in Afghanistan are waiting, knowing full well that there's a very good chance they could be persecuted and killed for their faith. But they are waiting so well. So how can we have that kind of trust and hope when we're waiting? Today we're going to look in God's word, and my prayer for this morning and my goal for this morning has been, if you are here and you are a brother and sister in Christ, I want us to wait like that, where we are just trusting and clinging to God and hoping and just wanting God's name to be spread no matter what happens to us. But my prayer and goal has also been, if you are here, and maybe you are a non-believer and you came for whatever reason, my, my hope and prayer has been that you would see we have the kind of God that we can trust and hope in Him even when faced with death because we follow Him. So we're going to jump into God's Word, but before we do, I, I just want to pray for my own heart for your hearts, that that God would be worshipped this morning. So as I pray, you, you pray quietly in your own mind as well. But let's just take this moment, praise God and ask Him to work. God, first and foremost, I thank you for using broken, broken vessels like myself. I am so sinful. I don't wait well. I don't trust in you like I should. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and I ask God, use me this morning. I pray that you'll speak through your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll be working in everyone's heart. Lord, I I pray for the brothers and sisters here 
we will just be reminded how good of a God you are. Teach us, God, to wait well. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray you'll be working in their heart. Show them that you are their only hope, that you are like no other. Thank you, God. And Lord, as I pray, I pray for those Christians and pastors in Afghanistan. I pray you will physically protect them if that is your will. I pray you will give them the strength to not abandon you even when death is at their door. And I pray, God, that you will advance the gospel in Afghanistan. And all of this, I pray in you, Jesus, in your name, amen. So open your Bibles to Psalm 40. So Psalm 40 will be up there on the screen, but I always find it helpful to have the full passage in front of me. So it'll be up there on the screen, but I encourage you, look at the Bible, the person next to you, open your phone, whatever, but let's look at Psalm 40. It'll also help because this morning... We only have 17 verses of Psalm 40 up there. I'll be jumping to other places, but they won't be up there on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can jump there with me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 40. Uh, So the book of Psalms is kind of like Old Testament hymn book. This psalm is written by King David, ruler over Israel thousands of years ago. So 17 verses, let's jump in. And I'm reading out of the, the Christian Standard Bible. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those 
who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. That is the word of our God. So real quick before we jump into it, this psalm is, I thought it was really cool because the structure of the sermon is the structure of the psalm. So the psalm is split into two sections. And it's actually pretty easy to tell where the split happens. So it changes tenses in the psalm. It goes from past tense to present tense. So just take a moment and see if you can figure out in these 17 verses where that shift happens. Give you a couple of seconds. Verses 1 through 11, it's past tense generally. Verse 12, it shifts to present tense. So then the question is, okay, why the split? What is, what is David doing in the first 11 verses that's different than the, f- the last few verses? Well, in verses 1 through 11, look, what is David doing? David is remembering and praising God for what he had done when he had waited in the past. So when you get your uh, handy-dandy notes from the bulletin, that number one you see, that is remember and praise. That's verses 1 through 11. David is going through and he's remembering who God is, what God had done, and he's praising God. But then look at verses 12 to 17. So what is David doing there that's different than verses 1 through 11? Well, David is crying out to God. God, I'm in this new season of waiting. I'm struggling. God, help me. So that would be number two, cry out. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look through verses 1 through 11, and we're going to look at remembering God and praising God. But we're going to look through verses 1 through 11 two times, in two different ways. We're going to look first at what do these 11 verses say about God, because God is central in how we wait well. And then in verses 12 to 17, well, actually, that's the first time we go through verses 1 through 11. Second time we go through verses 1 through 11, We're going to look at it from David's perspective. What was he doing? What was he learning? And then in verses 12 to 17, we're going to look at cry out. What does that mean? So that's what we're doing. You get your uh, filling out already, all done for you. Super easy. But let's let's jump in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry for help. So let's just stop right there. That word waited, waited is a small word, but there's a lot packed into just that one word. What is waiting? It's something we all know, we've all experienced, and we're all familiar with. But how would you define waiting? Waiting is where you are longing, expecting, or you're ready for something, but there's a delay. It wouldn't be waiting if you're expecting something and then boom, it happens right away. There's always a delay in waiting. So waiting is where you are longing, you're expecting, you're ready for something, but there's a delay. Now, you might be waiting for something to end. You're waiting for an illness to just end. Maybe you're waiting just for a family conflict to be resolved. 
Or maybe you're waiting for something that's, that's coming and that's near. So maybe you know you're about to lose your job and you're waiting for the hammer to fall. Or maybe you know you just messed up, you hurt people around you and you know there's going to be a consequence for your sin and you're waiting. So you're waiting for something to, to end or for something to come. And man, there's some exciting waiting. Like I think of the kid on Christmas Day or even let's, let's do Christmas Eve or the week before Christmas, or maybe the month before Christmas, if we're honest. Like, they're waiting for Christmas Day to open their gifts. They're waiting, but they're excited. They're excited for what's going to happen. Or think of the the older brother or sister in Christ who's in the hospital, just waiting to enter into glory and see their Savior face to face. It's waiting, but it's this excited waiting, like, I'm ready there's other waiting that can just be absolutely crushing. Like you know you're going to lose your job and you don't know what you're going to do and you're just waiting for what's going to happen. Or you know you're going into a situation where there's, there's just going to be tension and conflict and you're waiting, how is this going to go? Now something that's similar generally in a lot of waiting is waiting majors in, often in the unknown or in delayed gratification. Like you want something, but it's not there yet, and you have to wait. Or it's unknown. And because of what waiting is like, it can often make us nervous, impatient, vulnerable, anxious, and worried. Naturally, we don't like not knowing what's going to happen. And naturally, we don't like waiting for something we really want. So this word waited, it's a small word. We're all familiar with it, but there's a lot packed into just that one word. And we all know what waiting is like. So David is writing about how he waited. Now, we're not really sure what David was waiting for in this psalm, but we know David, he waited a lot in his life. So King David, he waited to be king. He waited over 14 years knowing, I'm going to be king one day. God promised it, but he had to wait a very long time. And he waited during that time being threatened and hunted for his life. David waited to see what would happen after his sin with Bathsheba. He waited to see what were the consequences for my sin. And it ended up his baby with Bathsheba died. David waited for reconciliation with his treacherous son Absalom, leading only to his son's death. David, he wanted to build the temple to worship God, but God told him no, and he never lived to see the day where that temple was built. David waited. He waited in ways beyond what we have waited, but he was familiar with the family conflict, with death, with the unknown. David waited and knew. So what what do you wait for? Maybe something already popped in your brain, but just think, what have you waited before in the past? What are you waiting for now? Clarity about the future? You're just not sure what's going to happen a year from now. Conflicts to be resolved and you're not sure how it's going to happen. Physical healing, spiritual restoration. Maybe you're not right with God, but you want that to be the case and you're just waiting. Maybe 
you're just waiting for heaven, you're done with things here on earth. Maybe you're waiting for your sin just to be gone. Like, I'm tired of it. I want my sin to be sin to be dead and gone. Maybe you have deep questions and doubts and you're waiting, God, I need to know. Maybe you have deep prayers and you're just waiting, God, hear my prayers, please. Maybe you're just waiting for your suffering to be over. Maybe you're waiting for COVID to be over. We all know about waiting. But look at verse one. What does this teach us about God? I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry for help. What does this show us about the one true God? That shows that he's personal, he's caring, he's all-knowing, he's present. And when you look at all the other religions of the world, those religions don't claim this about their God. The gods of these other religions don't claim that they are personal, present, caring. That is one of the ways that Christianity stands alone. God isn't just a God who created things, took a step back, you figure it out. God is in the suffering, in the waiting. He knows, he's patient, he's waiting, he's working, he cares about you and loves you. This shows us a lot about God. So when you look at other religions, that's not claimed about their gods that they follow. But the things we run to, to help us in waiting also can't claim that. So maybe you run to alcohol to soothe you while you wait. Well, that isn't caring, personal, all-knowing, or present. Maybe you run to other people around you, which is not wrong, but if that's your main focus, that's what you're relying on most, no one here on earth is all-knowing. No one here can care for you exactly the way you need. We run to other things to help us in waiting. Or we run to other things so we can push aside the waiting, ignore it, forget about it, so we don't have to deal with it. God alone is present, personal, caring, and all-knowing in our waiting. God and God alone. God is not the ambulance that rushes in after something hits, after the waiting, after the suffering. God is the surgeon who is patiently working for our good on purpose. That is who God is. So even just verse one teaches us so much about God. Now one quick thing about verse one. God knows what it feels like to wait. Because Jesus himself waited while he was here on earth. In the garden, Jesus waited knowing that he was going to be separated from his father when he went up on the cross to take our punishment for sin. Jesus knows what it's like to wait. And he's up there working. He knows we're not alone. Jesus waited. Now look at verse 2. And I want to address, I think, a big elephant in the room. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. So I think a big elephant in the room is, where's that? 
Where is God's deliverance in my waiting? I've been waiting months, years, decades. I know someone that waited and they died still waiting. And it brings up a lot of questions about God. Where is God in my waiting when it seems like he doesn't show up? First, we know it's not a question whether God is loving because we look here, we see that he is. And that's one of the questions that can pop up. God isn't loving, God isn't good because look, he's not helping me in my waiting. He does love and we'll look at that. The question isn't whether God knows or is in control because we see that he is. So it's something else. Why does God let us wait? Why doesn't he show up when we want and the way we want? Why doesn't he deliver us always like we see in verse 2? I want my feet on a rock. I want my steps secure. I want to be taken out of that pit. The big question is, are we promised here on earth a miraculous end to our waiting? It's not up there on the screen, but I'm just going to turn to Acts 12. I'm not going to look at a, really a specific verse, but you can turn there if you would like. In Acts 12, I want to look just at the chunk of verses 6 through 18. So we see Peter is imprisoned, and what happens? Man, the church is praying And God sends an angel to free Peter from jail. That's the kind of deliverance I want. I want angels showing up. I I want specific answers to my prayer, how I want them. That's the kind of deliverance we want, right? But look at verses 1 through 5. There was another follower of Jesus. And I'm sure he was praying and the church was praying for his deliverance. But look what happened. He was executed with the sword, probably beheaded. So in one chapter, we see God doing different things. We see him providing a miraculous end, a miraculous deliverance to the waiting, and we also see God not and allowing a follower of Jesus to die. So big question is, are we promised a miraculous end to our waiting and our suffering here? And I would say No. But to be clear, God is good, loving, and in control no matter what happens. When we wait, but a family member still passes away, when you find out you have the worst possible diagnosis, when God doesn't move you when you want to be moved, or he moves you when you don't want to be moved, when your sin or mental health struggle doesn't go away, the question isn't whether God is good, in control, loving, or whether he knows or not. That's not the question. He does. The question is, what is God doing? Why the waiting? Why does he only sometimes provide a miraculous end to waiting? And the big thing we have to remember, and it's hard for me to remember, it's not about me. It's about God. But even in that, God is loving and so, so good in the suffering, in the waiting. A great definition of love is doing what's best for the other person no matter the cost. And it means you're not always going to do what feels good. 
When you think about God's love, what is better than knowing God and enjoying him? You look here in this psalm, nothing is better than that. So God is loving and doing whatever he must and whatever he will so that we can know him and enjoy him because that lasts for eternity while nothing here does. So God letting us wait and suffer and not answer our prayers the way we would like, he's being loving because he's working so that we will know him and we will enjoy him. So yes, God, he can work miracles. He has and will. Two quick examples of this I was thinking this week. In youth group, uh, a while ago, we were praying for a family situation that was sort of connected to the church. We were praying that God would work. And a person in this family that we were praying for, they were diagnosed with ALS in the hospital, dying. And they came to know Christ in the hospital shortly before they passed away. God was being loving in that situation because that person was able to know God and enjoy him forever. He's in heaven now enjoying God forever because of what God did in the waiting. And for the family that were praying and even for the teens that were waiting and praying, what God did in the waiting allowed us to know him better and enjoy him more. Or even more recently, missions trip. We, we gave the report a couple weeks ago. And there was some discouragement, like why, why didn't kids come to know Christ? And we were wondering that, and it was discouraging, kind of awaiting, what was God doing? And we don't always get an answer to the question of God, why? But two weeks ago, uh, here at a VBS uh, with the Hispanic church that meets in our building, uh, a couple of teens were able to do a, a VBS with these kids. And because of the training that happened while we were doing the missions trip to share the gospel using the wordless book, Allison and one of the teens, Marissa, were able to share the gospel using the wordless book. And what happened after? An 11-year-old girl named Olga came to know Christ as the gospel was shared through the training that happened because of the missions trip. Like, yes, waiting is so hard, but God is good. We don't only see why he does what he does, but we can trust God is working because he's loving and he's doing so, so we will know him and enjoy him forever. So it might be you don't get a miraculous end, a miraculous deliverance to your waiting. It might be the thing you fear most happens. But we can trust that God will and does work because it might be that God saves someone through the waiting. It might be that God teaches you, disciplines you, delivers you from sin, makes you cling to him. God is working in the waiting. We have to trust. Yes, God will do some kind of deliverance, but it's not like we're going to have some We're not promised some special, miraculous victory here on earth because there's something better, God working so we will know and enjoy him forever. Look at verse three. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. God works in the affections of the waiting faithful. 
he redirects the affections of our hearts so we will love him more as we cling, as his word comes alive, and as he delivers, even if it's not in the way that we expect. Verse 4, how happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. We'll talk about this in a second, but there's a danger in waiting, but God is good to reward the faithful. Verse 5, Lord my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. I will be so honest with you. Sometimes it's so easy to take for granted what God has done and look at a verse like verse 5 and be like, okay, that's great. Now what? What's next? Let's just take a moment and let's look at verse 5. Let's meditate on these things. These things are true about God. First and foremost, Psalm 8. I'll just read it real quickly. It says this, What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. Who are we that God is personal and caring and patient and working so that we can know him and enjoy him? Who are we that God would do that? Not only that, but when we're in waiting, it's so easy to forget all the things that we don't have to wait for. Think about it for a moment. If you have believed in Jesus, you don't have to wait to know what God wants from us and who God is because we have his word. We don't have to wait for special communication from God in some other mysterious way. We have his word right here with us. We have his promises right here with us. This week I was uh, reading John 6 and I was so encouraged just by this promise right here. It says John 6:39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. What a promise that if you have trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus will not lose you. He will not let you go. And there are so many more promises throughout his word. We don't have to wait to know God and know his word. The second thing we don't have to wait for that shows us just how wondrous God is is we don't have to wait for salvation. Be clear, we wait to be in heaven with our Savior, but we don't have to wait to be saved from our sins. One of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul, um, one of the lyrics says this, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Yes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Oh, my soul. We don't have to wait for our sin to be nailed on the cross. It has already been accomplished because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We don't have to wait to be made right with God. We don't have to wait for access to God. We can go before God right here, right now. We have God, the Holy Spirit, with us. God has no rivals or equals When it says, when it talks about God's wondrous works and his plans for us, just think about all the ways we don't have to wait. What we don't have to wait for. God is so, so good. Look in verses six to eight. 
because I think it gives us a better idea of even more of this wondrous work. It says, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God. And your instruction is deep within me. So we see, all right, God doesn't delight in sacrifice and offering. That would have been terrifying probably to the people that originally were reading this. So sacrifices, we'll talk about in a second, but it's essentially obedience. This is showing, okay, God doesn't just delight in mere obedience. Okay, so if that's not what God automatically delights in, what does God delight in? 1 verse 8, David says, I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction is deep within me. God delights in people who want God. He wants not just our obedience, but our hearts. He didn't want just David's sacrifices in obedience. David also wanted, or God also wanted David's heart, his submission, his delight, and his repentance. That's really what God wanted, and that's what God wants from you and me. So when when I think about this, I think about uh, growing up, my dad would always buy my mom either Coca-Cola or Blue Raspberry um, Slurpees from Wawa. And I would always go with him, but he never bought me one. And I was thinking about it this week, that doesn't, that's not fair, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> now, he did so because he loved my mom and wanted to know that he loved her, and she appreciated that. But if he did that act just because he felt like he had to, or because someone told him to do so, my mom would not be as pleased because it wouldn't be out of the right heart. Well, God wants not just our obedience, not just the actions, but our hearts as well. Now, this would have been terrifying for the original people, I think, this idea of God not automatically delighting in sacrifice and offering because sacrifices and offering, that's how people were made right with God. So that maybe would have been a little striking of, wait a second, then then what does make me right with God? And for us today, real quick, we are not made right with God by simple obedience. We're not saved by just obeying God for two reasons. One, none of us can obey perfectly. This week, as I was preparing this sermon, I sinned, and I sinned in waiting because I am flawed and can't do this perfectly. The other problem, and the root of it is, our hearts are bent towards worshiping the created, not the creator. That's what sin is, worshiping the created, not the creator. So our hearts are bent towards, I'm not going to give my heart to God. I'm not going to submit to God. I'm going to chase after everything and everyone else. So two problems For us, in God delighting in us, is our hearts are bent away from God and we can't perfectly obey him. True of us, true for Old Testament followers of God. And it should terrify us as much as it probably terrified Old Testament followers of God. Now the good news is, and the really cool thing, 
is Hebrews chapter 10, a book in the Old Testament, quotes Psalms verses 6 through 8. And it quotes it when talking about Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. See, God wanted our hearts. He wants us. So from the very beginning, God provided a substitute so that people could be saved from their sins, forgiven, and be made right with him. For Old Testament followers of God, that was the sacrifices you see here. Those sacrifices were animal sacrifices. God graciously made it so that the animal's death could temporarily cover the person's punishment because the ultimate punishment for sin, separation from God and death. But God graciously made it that the person's sin would be transferred onto the animal. But it wasn't just the act of the sacrifices that saved the people. You see that in the book of Galatians. Because as that sacrifice was being made, the people would put their faith in God. God is gracious and merciful, and he's going to forgive me as the sacrifice is made because of who he is and what he has promised. And not just that, but they would have had faith. God, you're sending a perfect sacrifice, so I don't got to do this anymore. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that the perfect substitute has come. Substitute is someone that takes the place of another. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus did what we never could do. One, perfectly obey all of God's commandments because he is fully God, fully man. But Jesus also did what we never could do. He made it so we can be made right with God by dying on the cross, taking our punishment, taking our place, and rising victorious. We are saved not by simply doing good things or being good people because that's not possible. We're saved, made right with God when much like the Old Testament followers of God, we put our faith in God. God, I am saved because you are gracious and merciful and because you have sent Jesus to take my punishment. That is how we are saved, by faith, by God's grace alone. And what is amazing is that God wants us, he wants our hearts, he wants our submission, and God didn't go, all right, figure it out yourself. And this is another way that Christianity stands alone from any other religion because God doesn't leave it up for us to try to make things right between us and him. God came here as a human, fully God, fully man, and died on the cross so that we could be saved, so that we could delight in him and he can delight in us. So when we talk about the wondrous works of God, that is the ultimate wondrous work of God that God has saved us and freed us and made it so we can be made right with him. Not by trying to do good things or being good people, but by having faith that Jesus is the ultimate substitute. Hebrews chapters 10 says this, after quoting Psalm 46 to 8, by this will we have been sanctified, made right, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all all time. Animal sacrifices had to be done continually. Jesus died once and that was it. That is our savior. And real quick, if you are here and you are a non-believer and as we're talking about the wondrous works of God, this is the ultimate wondrous work of God that could be true of your life if you put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
to be your savior from sins. Talk to someone about that after the service. Let's run down to verse nine to 10. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. What does this say about God? He's righteous. He's faithful, even when we are not. He provides salvation. His love is constant. He is true. He is compassionate. His truth always guards us. Look what this says about God. And we have an even better understanding of how all these things are true about God because he sent Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. They waited thousands of years for that and we have that now. Jesus came and we can see just how loving and righteous God is through Jesus, what he did with the ultimate sacrifice. So we're gonna run through, talking about God was the longest part of the section because God is central to waiting well. You can't wait well if you don't know who God is and trust him. So we're talking about praising and remembering God. Why do we do those things when waiting? Why can't we just shoulder the weight of waiting and suffering and move along? Why is God at the center of waiting well? Think about if you were building a, like a, a tree fort for your, um, your child. It would be a lot of work. It would probably be tiring if you're doing it in the summer, it's going to be hot, you're going to be sweaty, might be a lot of money, it's going to be a lot of work. So when you're tempted to give up, what do you, what, what do, you do? Well, you're going to think to your kid. You're going to think about your kid. Okay, man, I love them so much. I'm so excited. Like, what is their reaction going to be when this is all finished? Man, I love them. I'm so excited to do this for them. So what do you do if you're, in that situation, tempt to just give up. This is too hard, too much going on. You, well, you think, this is who I'm doing it for and this is why. So when we're waiting and we're suffering and we're struggling and we don't have the answers to our questions and we're terrified out of our minds, what do we do? We center our focus on God. We remember, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is how he worked in the past. One thing that I've always done is I don't journal like, you know, girls are like, dear diary, blah, 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 blah. This person was mean to me today. I don't journal like that. I journal like a man. But I like to journal. I really like to journal. When, when stuff is going on, you know, God, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified about this. God, I don't understand how this, why this is happening. God, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I, I have journals from back from 2015, 2016, and it is so good for my faith to go back to those journals and look, oh, that, that's how God worked that out. Man, that situation was really hard. I don't ever want to go back to that situation, but I'm so thankful for it because I remember this is what it has taught me. I love going back and remembering what God has done. It helps me remember, okay, God worked in that situation and that seemed impossible in the moment. God, God can do the same thing here. And when we're praising God 
It's taking the focus off of ourselves and we're remembering, that's right, it is all about God. God is so much better and sweeter and more enjoyable than anything here on earth. That's why David was praising God and remembering before he got to the crying out. God, this is how you work. God, this is who you are. Knowing God, enjoying God, remembering and praising God is at the center of waiting well. And not just that, but fighting anxiety, fighting sin. You don't simply just fight sin by, okay, I'm going to set up these certain things that are going to help me when I'm being tempted. Those are good. But the moment you're going to be tempted, you're going to be like, putting those aside and I'm going to step right into temptation. The key to fighting temptation is seeing how God is better and greater than everything and everyone else. God is at the center of waiting well. That's why David spent so much time remembering and praising. This week, while I was doing some waiting, and there were times this week where I was, I was just nervous and I was anxious, and, and I wasn't perfect at it, but I tried. Okay, God, I'm going to remember what you have done in the past. I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to honestly cry out. And it's something simple that I could do as I was walking to a meeting or going into a phone call or doing a math assignment because it terrifies me. Like, remember, praise. We'll get to crying out in a second, but let's run to David real quick. Look at this real quick. Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry for help. It's a simple statement, I waited patiently for the Lord, but it is hard to do, impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit, because we're tempted to wrestle control from God. God, I've got things, I'm going to take over. You don't seem to know what you're doing, I got it. That is the temptation, but David waited patiently. He didn't panic, he didn't worry. Why? Because he knew who his God was and remembered how God worked in the past. Verse 2, he brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Isn't that how waiting feels sometimes, like a desolate pit? Like you're all alone, no one knows what I'm going through, there's no escape, no hope. That's what waiting can feel like. Remember, God is a powerful God who can deliver. His deliverance is best. Look at verse three. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. So a big question is, why the waiting? Why does God let us wait? Well, look what happens in verse three. After the waiting, God put a new song in his mouth, a hymn of praise. While you're waiting, during the waiting, after, God rearranges those, those desires, delights, and affections of the heart so you'll be centered on him. God knows what he's doing. Now, I love that part. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. Why the waiting? Because sometimes it teaches others. And we'll get to that in a second. God knows what he's doing. There have been times where I've, I've prayed big prayers, specific prayers, and I didn't always get the answer I wanted or expected. But it totally and completely began to rearrange the affections of my heart as I saw, okay, God knew what he was doing. 
Thank God he didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted. God rearranges the affections of our hearts, allows our hearts to be joyful and praise him even in the worst of times. Look at verse four. There's a danger in waiting and it is serious. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Two big dangers when you're waiting. One, it could be just rejection of God. God did not work the way that I wanted or expected. That was hard. Why did God do that? And just a total rejection or just ignoring of God. It could be you believe the wrong things. It says to those who run after lives, there in in verse four, something awful happens, you're waiting, God doesn't work the way that you want, you could come away thinking the wrong things about God. God didn't do that here, so this must be true about God. Totally denying what he has said about himself in his word. And the other one is, is maybe arrogance. After waiting, you could kind of think like, all right, I know better than God. Forget this, I'm better. You've turned to the proud. There's a real danger in waiting. Hebrews 10, 23 gives us a, a good reminder. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. We have his promises in his word. He is faithful even when we are not faithful. Let us hold fast. I went on King Ka, like when I first came here, worst thing I ever did. Not really, but I sort of regret it. Um, while that's going, you got the restraints, but I'm still holding on because I'm terrified. And when we think about waiting and we think about needing to be faithful so that we don't run to the proud or run after lies, God is faithful and he's good and he will protect those who belong to him. But there's a sense where we hold fast. We do not ignore or reject what God has said. We hold fast and God rewards those who wait faithfully. So those Christians and pastors in Afghanistan, I don't know what's going to happen. But if they're holding on and even if they face death and die because of their faith, the reward in heaven will be far greater than anything here on earth. God is good. Real quick, look at verse five. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. It's easy to get tunnel vision while you wait and wrestle, where all you can think about is what you're going through, how you're feeling, but we need to do what David did, praise and remember so you can stop focusing on the here and now, but remember who God is. Verses six to eight, waiting can often just completely humble us and show us what we're really delighting in. David says, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. In waiting and in suffering, God opened his ears to see, oh, you want me to delight to do your will, God. Verses nine through 11. 
David proclaimed all these things in the great assembly because David realized it wasn't just him and God and that was good enough. He was a part of other God followers. And he made sure to gather with them and praise God with them and encourage and challenge them together. If you have believed in Jesus, the gathering of followers of God is not something that can be replaced by a stream or a chat box because something happens when we come together and praise God's righteousness together. There's nothing like it. I can't tell you how many times in a conversation before church or after I have been encouraged and challenged. I remember a couple months ago we were singing um, Death Was Arrested and hearing my brothers and sisters Christ singing about how they have been freed from sin and death have fed my soul. The gathering is so important as we proclaim God's righteousness together. That's what's so cool about life group. We can come together, share about what we're waiting in, our struggles and our suffering. I have been encouraged in life group as I have heard many answers to prayer. Man, the assembly of Jesus' followers is so important, so sweet, and so good. And then we'll conclude real quickly with crying out. Verse 12, for troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities or sin have overtaken me. I am unable to see. There are more than the hairs of my head. That's, that's how waiting can feel, can't it? where you just feel absolutely hopeless and sometimes it can feel like there's a total silence from God. Why? Because sometimes in the silence, God is teaching us, cling to him even when the emotions aren't there, even when you don't feel like it, even when it feels like a spiritual desert, run to him even more when the silence is there and everything is overwhelming and and it feels like your sin's or more than the hairs on your head, run to God, cry out to him honestly, even more so than before. Even the silence from God has a reason to, so you can know him and enjoy him more. Look at verses 14 to 15, where it talks about those who are intending to take their life and they're wishing them harm. That's what Christians in Afghanistan are literally dealing with right now. We don't really often have to deal with this in verses 14 to 15, but those Christians are. And if God is working in that situation, is he not working in our situation so much more? God is good. He knows what's going on. He's working on purpose. And it can be easy when you see abuse or unjust violence. It can be easy to doubt, what is God doing? Why aren't the enemies of God being disgraced or or Why isn't he punishing them and dealing with them? Well, be sure that God will, he is working and he will ultimately take care of injustice and abuse on judgment day where he will judge all sin. No persecution, no injustice, no waiting is unknown or unused by God. He's working, he's got it. Verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. God, do that in my heart. I want to love the salvation, love God, and continually say the Lord is great. Real quick, verse 17, I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. In a way, if you are a brother and sister in Christ, we should all be constantly waiting. 
because we see our need and we see the need of other people around us. We should always be waiting for our sin to be dealt with. We should always be waiting for big answers to prayer. We should always be waiting, God, here's what this person's dealing with. God, they don't know Jesus. So you're waiting for them to to know and enjoy God. We should always be waiting. If we're in a period where we're not waiting in some way or another, there's a big problem because we don't see how needy we are and how needy the people around us are. We are needy people, but God is good. I thought of of waiting and wanted to to talk about it after Habakkuk, and and I just want to close Habakkuk Habakkuk 2.1. You don't need to turn there. Habakkuk waited. God did not work the way that he wanted. And this is what Habakkuk said. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. We don't always see what God is doing in the waiting. We must resolve to trust, to praise, remember, and cry out. And like Habakkuk, sit on our watch tower and wait, knowing and trusting that God is good. God, I thank you for your word. Waiting is so hard. Lord, if there's a brother and sister in here, I pray, whatever they're going through, help them to trust you, know you, enjoy you, and wait well. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, help them to see that you are their substitute. They could be saved of what you have done. In your name, amen. How many of you enjoy waiting? Right? It's, it's, uh, most of us don't. Right? So <clears throat> shortly after COVID hit last spring, my son, Dean, got tired of sitting in the house all alone with just his mother and me. He really wasn't alone. And he talked us into getting guinea pigs. Now, these, these guinea pigs, Carl and Miles, are unlike any animal I've ever known. I walk into the house, and these guinea pigs do not want to wait for anything. Like, they hear me come into the house, and, and Miles grabs the cage with his teeth and starts rattling the cage. <clears throat> Carl if I come near the cage and open the door, starts to climb out of the cage because they can't wait for one second to get a carrot or a piece of celery. They hear me and immediately it's like, we want food. And they're a good reminder to me of what we as believers are not to be like. We live in this world of instant gratification. We want everything right now. And God tells us that we need to wait, and we need to wait on him. And it's not easy because we don't always get the answer that we want. We don't always get the answer in the timing that we want. And sometimes we don't even see an answer at all. But as Connor has opened up, what the psalmist has said this morning to us, we understand that we look at, we need to look at waiting through a different set of lenses. 
See, we want what we want when we want it. But God says, no, you need to wait on me. You need to trust that everything that is going on, I am at work in. And I am doing it for my glory and for your good. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us, right? It's not just for God's glory. It is for our good when we wait. God is working all things out for good for those who trust in him and are called according to his purposes. See, when we put the lenses on that cause us to look at eternity instead of the here and now, as Connor said, we can wait and worship God in the waiting. I would encourage you, we live in a world where it's really hard to wait. And I would encourage you to change your glasses, change the lenses that you look through. Learn to give God praise and glory even in the waiting. And trust him that he's working all things out for his glory and for your good as you're called according to his purposes. And if you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, you can't even put those glasses on until you do that. Connor explained that so well this morning. And if you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to take that step this morning. Come talk to Connor. Come talk to myself. Talk to one of the folks on the worship team this morning. Don't walk out of here without having that conversation and making that decision. It's that important because it changes the perspective of everything. All of life, all the waiting, all the hardship comes into view as we place our faith in Jesus and learn to trust in him. In a moment, we're going to take our offering. It'll come from the back forward. As the plates pass your row, feel free to stand up and join us as we sing one more time. Let's pray. Father, we don't like the waiting, and we admit that to you. We admit that we would rather see answers the way we want them and when we want them. But, Father, you know that that's not even good for us. We would not be trusting you. We would not learn how to see you at work in our lives. We would would not be able to see your beauty. We would not be able to see your perfect timing that's never a minute too soon or a moment too late, we would completely lose sight of you. So, Father, as we wait, as we wait on you in different areas of our lives, whether it's for an answer to a prayer, whether it's to see injustice done away with, whether it's for healing or or maybe a next job or whatever it might be, as we wait on you, We pray that you would strengthen us by causing us to to see you in the midst of the waiting. That you would help us to, to trust that you are working all things out for your glory and for our good. Because it's not about what's going on here. It's about what you're trying to accomplish for eternity. And fathers, There may be some here who have never thought about eternity and how that could work out for them. Father, I pray that as they have heard the gospel explained this morning and what you've done through Jesus, 
that we might gain eternity with you, gain a relationship with you, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Work in all of our hearts this morning, Father, to apply those things that we've heard. And as we give this morning, I ask that you would help us to give so that we might be able to um, see the message of the good news of Jesus taken through the streets of Tom's River in Ocean County, in New Jersey, and around the world, that others might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So bless this offering, multiply it, and use it for your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name.